We're continuing that series this morning. want to jump, uh, as we get ready to jump in, want to mention something I mentioned just about every week, and that is our reading plan. If you don't have one, I encourage you to get one. If you're not spending time in God's Word, it's something our church is very passionate about, that you encourage all of us to get alone and uh, hear from God. We put a reading together that's going to go along with what we talk about this morning, uh, some of the passages. And then we put a journal together for you to take notes for this morning and also journal throughout the week. We're on page 24. The other thing I want to mention is we're in this family, bless this home, is uh, this would be the, for the families with children still at home. Uh, out, if you walk out these doors, look off to the right, there's a wall, a slat wall there with uh, different things on it. On it is a, sh- a little booklet that we put together with 50 family activity ideas to kind of instill some of the stuff that we're talking about into your family. And um, so, again, from date nights to different note writing things, Donut Friday and other little just fun ideas, they're laid out kind of with the idea, kind of what it is, a description of how to do it. And then there's the cool thing about this is that we put together some questions. So after it's done, just to reflect, what did I learn about my child? What did I learn about me? What, what went well? What didn't go well? So again, that's out there if you would, are interested in that, if you'd like to uh, grab that as well. Now, what we're talking about, where we've really been, is we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, is what Jesus, uh, it's kind of the message that Jesus preached. Probably, as scholars think, it was probably a two to three day sermon up kind of on a mountain. It kind of went away. Jesus talked. It's his most well-known sermon recorded in Matthew um, chapter five. If you want to turn there with me, it's also recorded by the other gospel writer, Luke. Uh, The sermon opens up. um, The sermon opens up with. Uh, kind of what's called the been known as the Beatitudes. It's kind of a Latin word. It's, it's kind of where we drive the Beatitude to being blessed or happy. And, and so we kind of look at this, and Jesus describes eight characteristics that are true of a person who is living the kingdom life, who's empowered uh, by him and by God and kind of living it out. So he lays out these eight characteristics, and that's kind of opens the sermon up. So what we've been doing is just saying, you know what? Those Beatitudes describe, man, it'd be cool if we could get those Beatitudes, not only instill them in our own lives, but let's identify our homes in this way and live them out in our home. Because after all, I think most of us in this room understand that the home in which you come from or have come uh, or in right now, I mean, those relationships are crucial and they impact so much of our life. And I think most of us, when we're honest, we say, we want a blessed home, right? Because after all, what's the opposite? I mean, curse, and I don't want that. Now, as we get ready to jump into this this morning, I want to ask a question of you. Uh, something, uh, have you ever been robbed? I mean, truly robbed. As I was thinking about this this week, I was robbed three times in my life. Uh, one of them was at gunpoint, actually. And all they took was a Bible. They didn't get anything else off me but my Bible. It was in Newark. I was doing some street evangelism. The guy thought I was an undercover cop, and out came the gun. And I'm like, oh, my gracious, no. And so he just took my Bible, and off he went. So I don't know what he did with it. I don't. Uh, but anyway, but the one that's most memorable isn't even that one. The one that's left lasting impact was in ninth grade. Uh, I had just, it was in January, I was going with some friends to overlook skating rink. Um, I believe it still exists there in Lancaster. Uh, going to kind of hang out and meet some girls, you know, ninth, ninth grade and kind of getting to that age. Where I'm like, I'm starting to notice the opposite sex. And my parents had bought me for Christmas a Miami Dolphin starter jacket. Now, those of you who would have been a child of the late 80s, early 90s, you remember those? They were these pullover jackets and they had the, the big logo in the back. And I was like, yes, I always wanted this. And my parents bought it for me. So I wore that that night. If you remember those, they had this zip pocket right in the front. So I tacked all, stuck all my valuables in there, my inhaler for my asthma and and my, um, (laughs) make sure I could breathe if I met the really cool girl, (laughs) you know. (laughs) So I stuck that in there and I had my identification and other stuff in there and I had some money in there. 
we got there. I pay and get in. I go and hang my coat up and we're skating, having a good time. Didn't meet the girl I hoped to meet. You know, had a good time with my friends. And we're going to leave and I cannot find my coat anywhere. I mean, it's gone. So I go up to the office and nope, no coat. And I mean, it's nowhere. So someone went home with a really cool Miami Dolphin starter jacket. Now, as we go out and get in the car, yes, it was a cold ride home in January without a winter jacket. But more than that, if you've ever been robbed, if you've ever been in that place, doesn't it feel violating? I mean, it just feels like here is someone now riding around town with my inhaler and all my stuff. And I'm like, what are they doing with my stuff? They know things about me. And it just, as I, I'm driving home, I kind of have this, I want to protect myself from this. I mean, don't we want to protect ourselves from being robbed, right? I mean, we spend a lot of money in our culture to lock up our homes, to put security systems in and cameras and alarms. And we spend a lot of money on that. If we live in a culture where I think physical safety is a pretty big deal too. In fact, I'm driving in the car this morning. I know my wife's here. I hope she's probably <laughs> my, my youngest son, who's not yet 12, is in the front seat. And he looks up and reads the visor, serious death and injury could cause for 12 and under sitting in a seat. I mean, we have this. I mean, the kid, I mean, today it almost seems like a child has to be, you know, 12 and 100 and some odd pounds just to get out of those crazy car seats. And, you know, I almost feel like if I'm going to send my kids out to take the trash out by the curb, I've got to put headgear and elbow pads on them just to keep them safe. But we live in a culture that values physical safety. Protect our home, protect our things, protect our kids. Yet what I've learned about life, we have an enemy that we cannot physically see. And we have an enemy that's not so much concerned about your home and your kids' safety and my safety. It's an enemy, we, it says the battle that we fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against, in a, in a spiritual world, his name is Satan. It says in John chapter 10, verse 10, that he has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus has come to give life and life to the full. Now, I think about the physical world that we're so passionate about. And what I've found is I watch families step up to protect their kids morally, ethically, and spiritually. They're not met with the excitement of the physical protection that our culture is all about. I'm just I'm stunned at that. I'm like, why is that? Why is it that, that when, when a parent steps forward and says, I want purity of heart in my home, And because of that, there's certain things that we're not going to watch and certain things we're not going to do. I mean, we treat those parents like they're just legalistic, crazy people from another planet. But yet we're so big on physical safety. Here's what we're going to talk about this morning. You're there in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, and we're going to talk about purity of heart. And a culture of purity doesn't just happen. If you walk away with nothing else this morning, this is one of the points I encourage you to walk away with. A pure heart doesn't just happen. I don't just magically wake up. As Chris talked about, leadership doesn't just happen. Good leadership doesn't just happen. We don't just drift into these places. It takes intentionality. It takes focus. It takes purpose. It it takes a plan. And let's go about this. Now, if you're there in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at that one verse, verse 8. I'm going to read all of them, just kind of build the context. Open up the sermon this way. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those, this is when we looked at last week, verse 6. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice or righteousness, just righteousness, for they will be satisfied. We talked about, do you hunger and thirst after that righteousness that only God can give you? Verse 7, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. 
Love to spend time on that, but we're going to jump into verse 8. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will what? For they will see God. I think it's something, if, I think, most of you, as I look out, I know many of you, but most of you would say, that's what I want. I want to see God. I want to see him show up in my life, and I want to see him work. I want to see him work in this marriage, in this home, in this family, in this relationship. I want to see him work. Well, God says, well, blessed are those who have a pure heart. Now, heart is the word cardiac. Cardio, actually, is the word here. Cardiac, it's where we kind of get our word cardiac. And most of you know, hey, I know what that is. He had cardiac arrest. I, I know that word. It's literally referring to this physical thing inside of me, this organ, the center of life that pumps blood all throughout. That when it goes, I go. Now, Jesus is taking the term, and this term is used all throughout the scriptures. He's taking the term and metaphorically using it to say this is the center of life. It's your inner self. It's the, the center of your feelings and the seat of your emotions. This is who you are. It makes you up. Now, Jesus says that thing. So he's not just referring to this physical thing that's pumping, but that thing inside of you. <laughs> Blessed are those who are pure when that is pure, for they will see God. Now, Scripture has a lot to say about this thing called the heart. And it's not always very pretty. <laughs> One of the verses that's probably most well-known, most some of you in this word, if you've been Bible students for any number of years, you've probably run across it. Jeremiah seventeen nine. And this is describing our heart without Jesus. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. Wow. Thanks. And desperately wicked. Now look at this next sentence, this next statement. Who really knows how bad it is? Now, I'm going to challenge us before we really talk about how to get there. But who really knows how bad it is? We're deceived people when it comes to the heart. I think most of us in this room are deceived when it comes to our own heart. And Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to really push that this morning. I just want to mention it here and then we'll kind of develop as we move along towards this. Without Jesus, there is no such thing as a pure heart. Without his work in my life, my heart's in trouble. It's really not going to be good. And that kind of runs with where we were last week. Now, let's come back to this deception thing. Is it possible that you're deceived? This morning, sitting here. Is it possible? So I want to ask if it's possible, if I'm deceived. We'll look at a verse to kind of help develop this. Ephesians chapter 4, it says this. And I'm going to need some help. The words that are highlighted, can you guys say them with me? Their minds are full of darkness. They wandered far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. So they're full of darkness. They've hardened their hearts. They've closed their minds off to who God is. Now, as I think about this, I think about how we adjust to darkness. You know, we've heard the story of the, the frog in the kettle. Uh, I think of yesterday, we were outside working. The beautiful sun was up, nice warm day, trying to get some yard work done. And uh, we have this blessed thing called a swimming pool in our backyard that we inherited. That my, When we bought the home, we've kept it and keep it going. Our kids love it. Daddy, not so much, but I do love it for them. So we want to get this thing working. So we kind of got it open a week ago. Now it's time to get the ladder in it. So the ladders, I'm, I'm getting the, the ground kind of leveled back out. And I go down into our basement. There's Belco doors the side of our house. I walk into the basement. It's an old house. So you know, I got to be careful with my head. I come down in. The lights aren't on. The doors behind me streaming light into this basement. And I walk in after being outside and I could not see a thing. I mean, it was pitch black. 
So I, you know, kind of duck my head to make sure I don't hit anything. And I'm kind of doing this. I'm like, I know it's, I kind of generally know where it's at. And I work my way over there. I was in there about three to five minutes. And that three to five minutes, guess what happened? I could see. Till I came out, I could see fine. The lights weren't on. And then when I walk out, you know, the reverse happens. Now I'm like, whoa. (laughs) So I'm like, or maybe you've ever been to a romantic dinner with your sweetheart and the lights go dim and you know, it's dark and you're like, man, I just came in from outside. I I think, I I think I want to see him. I think, I mean, why can't I, until the dinner's done, you walk out and you're, you don't even notice it. When I ask the question again, is it possible when the scriptures say your heart in its natural state is so wicked who can really understand it? Here, this verse says, with, with, we can actually darken ourselves, harden our hearts, and we just, we really don't get it. A verse two weeks ago, when we were in our gifted series, in our reading plan, this came off the pages to me. Uh, this is a verse describing us in our sinful, this is our, how we are, our natural way. It says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by, say it with me, lust and deception. The two words that the writer Paul uses to describe our basic natural way of living sinful nature that all of us still have a part of us. Even if you're a Christian, you have this sin nature. And it says that that sin nature, the foundation of it is lust. That's scary enough. That's one other message and deception. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Is it possible? Just a little bit. I just want to ask you if you're willing to crack the door just a little this morning to say, you know what? Maybe, maybe I have adjusted. Maybe my eyes have adjusted to the world in which I'm living in a way I'm not seeing my heart in the way that I should be seeing it. The result of that, coming back to verse, come back in the chapter, it says this, their minds are f- full of darkness, which we looked at. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Now that's a life you and I don't want. We're like, I don't want, to, I don't want that. But it might be a life that we might be grabbing hold of and don't even realize it. Again, I said, we're so big on protecting things physically. Let's eat organic, right? That's a big push now. Let's get all the dyes and all the preservatives out of our food. That's good. That's no problem with that. You know, have a baby. I mean, let's, let's make sure the bottle is sanitized just right. And you got to go through all these steps now to make sure that bottle is not going to make the baby sick. And then you don't want to put any kind of poison or anything in the bottle. And let's take our medicines and put them up in the cabinet, lock the cabinet so the kids can't get to them. Uh, and let's kind of, um, you know, as I think about my pool, you know, a week ago when we opened it up, it looked like this brown sludge. And, you know, my kids, I was like, yeah, guys aren't getting in there because I don't know what you're going to come out growing with and what happened to your hair. And, you know, we, we, protect our kids. We protect them. Yet, yet we'll allow a 15 year old daughter to go on a car date with a pubescent hairy legged creature called a boy (laughs) that we don't even know real well. I'm like, why, why do they have to do that? And why are parents weird that say no? Or we'll give our 14-year-old boy unlimited access to his mobile device. Why? Why? And why are you weird if you say, you know what? I'm not sure about that. Or we're going to take our hard-earned money 
and then go entertain ourselves with things that are played out on the screen that would actually cause God to grieve. And we laugh at it. Oh, it's just funny. It's okay. It's entertainment. Is it possible? I'm only asking this. Not, is it possible? Are you willing to just crack the door a little to say it might be possible that I've darkened and I've allowed myself to not even see and know how wicked it really is for me? Is it possible? In fact, let me ask it a different way. And then we're going to jump in and say, so what do I do? Let me ask it this way. How much impurity are you willing to let in? Let me ask it that way. How much impurity are you willing to let in? Uh, let me give you this verse. Again, sticking with Ephesians. I'm just trying to keep right here in this one section. Ephesians chapter 5. But among you, there must not be even a hint. Not a what? A hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Not even a hint. Heard a funny story to illustrate this point of how much impurity you're really willing to let in. A 12-year-old son comes to his mom knowing that the standard in their home is no PG-13 movies until you, get, until you hit 13. And even then, even then, it's, they're going to have to evaluate movie by movie. So that's kind of the family standard. So he comes. His friends have invited him to go see the new movie that's out. And he's all excited, but he knows it's PG-13. So he does his homework. He does all his, gets online, checks plugged in, you know, and they give it an okay rating. But they lay out what it is. So he says, I'm going to arm myself. I'm going to just surprise my mom. And, mom, can I go? And then before she even gets to say anything, she says, Mom, I looked into Plugged In and I got it all laid out. And it's only, it's just a little bit of language and a little bit of sexual innuendos. And, and he, he lays it all out for her. And he says, Mom, it's just a little bit. All my friends are going, it really won't buy. I mean, it's just a little bit. So the mom, in her wisdom, steps back and thinks and says, you know, surprises her son. Says, you know what? I'm going to let you go. But first, I'm going to send you off with a batch of brownies. Now, he's like, oh, my word, did an alien invade my mom? Like, what's going on? I mean, this is so exciting. Not that I get to go, but she's going to give me brownies. So, so he heads off, and she begins making the brownies. And they get all done. She calls him down and says, hey, honey, the brownies are ready. You know, here they are. And so he comes down and says, hey, hey, before you eat them, he grabs one ready to go. Before you eat it, I just want to let you know, I put a secret ingredient in them. I went out in the backyard and just grabbed just a little bit, to keep in mind, just a little bit of dog poo. And I put it there in that brownie. Do you want them? Mom, that's disgusting. That's so gross. Why would you do that? And you can picture a 12-year-old boy and, you know, in his flipping out. Mom, what's wrong with you? So after he settles down, she says, guess what? Same as you wouldn't take a little bit of that in, I'm not comfortable right now with you taking a little bit of this in. So the answer is no. But among you, there must not be even a hint. Not even a hint. How much impurity are you willing to let in? And I ask the question again, is it possible? Are you willing, again, just, just to open the crack a little and say, it might be possible that my heart's darker and more deceived than what I really give it credit for. Now, so what do we do? How do we handle this? I want to give you three things. Before we get there, I want to mention one very important principle. Have you ever heard the statement, follow your heart? Now, that's a natural thing to do in life, but I think it can be dangerous. Proverbs chapter 4, I think, gives better advice. Proverbs chapter 4, it's Solomon, and he's talking to his son. And look what he says. Guard your heart above all else. So he says, listen, listen, son. There's a lot of things I want you to know. 
But if you forget everything I've taught you, remember this one. Above all else, above everything else, son, I want you to guard your heart. For, now he's going to say, for it determines the course of your life. Because we naturally do what? We naturally follow our heart. Your heart is far more powerful than your intellect. You can know the right thing to do, but if your heart's telling you to do something else, nine times out of ten, you're going to move towards your heart. So Solomon says, because of that, guard it. Guard it. Work hard at guarding it. Again, we talked last week. This is why it's so important, kind of the overarching thought of this whole series. We're not just a Christian family. We're a Christ-centered home. We're going to go after the heart, and we're going to do it with with the person of Jesus. He's not just a part of my life. He is my life. And again, as I said earlier, a culture of purity doesn't just happen. It's intentional. It's something we go after. So how do we go after it? What do we do? How do we guard that heart? Well, here's the first thing. How we get this culture into our home is I would start here. I think it's important to get your own heart right. What I mean by this is, is kind of this. It's a, it's a teaching that I am really driving into my own heart right now. This is a personal current lesson for me. And it's this. You set the tone in the relationships around you. You. I. Set the tone in the relationships around you. Now, some of you say, well, no, 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 you don't know him or you don't know her or my mom or my dad. No, 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 no. My boss. No, here's the thing. Too often we look at what's happening to us as though we're happening because of him, because of her, because of them. And we almost live almost if it gets eerily sounds like I'm a victim and I, I have to respond. And I would say this, here's what I'm learning. You set the tone in the relationships around you. Make your own heart pure. Here's the verse that I would say. Now this verse, we could preach a whole series on this verse. I want to pull one thought out of it though. Titus chapter one, verse six, 15. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure. So if you have a pure heart, as you look at life, you look at life through the lens of purity. You look at the people in your life, your husband, your wife, your kids, you look at them through the lens of purity, but nothing is pure. And let me catch that. You know, we generally say, don't say these all inclusive terms, but God here says nothing is pure to those who are corrupted and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. So in other words, so if I look at you, I'm pure hearted. I look at you with, through the lens of purity. I view you. I start with the position of purity. Have you ever heard some, a man, generally a man that says this. Oh, I struggle with pornography. Everyone struggles with pornography. No, not everyone does. Now, statistically, the stats are pretty high, 70-some-odd percent, even in the church. But that means there's a 20-some-odd percent that doesn't. So 20% of the men in here do not struggle. So oftentimes, the man who struggles with pornography is looking at every other man through this, every other man through this lens of impurity. And it's not true. Tanya and I had this happen with us. We... And I've shared this story before. Uh, we were away at someone's home, and we got home. Uh, we get a letter from this person, and this letter is just filled with what I would call condemnation and telling us how terrible and horrible you were that you stayed at my home and you guys had sex. And we weren't married yet, and we were there. Now, we were like, what? But as life is journeying, and we've walked with that person, we realize that that's something they struggle with. So, of course, if they're staying up at night and talking, they would be doing something other than just talking. Again, if the own heart is not pure, when you look towards other people, you look at them through an impure lens, and it begins to taint how you interact with them, and it makes it very hard for you to set the tone in relationships around you. So it's so important, again, to get your own heart 
Right. Now, how do you do that? I think there's two ways, and we talk about them both here at Bethany a lot. The first one is God's word. Psalm 119.9, how can a young person, I would add any person, the, the psalmist here specifically is talking to teenagers, young people, but how can a young person stay pure? What's the answer? Obeying your word. Now we're going to have this reading in, in your journals this week and in your plans. And again, when you read it, you're going to read a lot of other stuff. Like verse 11 says, hide God's word in your heart. I mean, how many of you memorize the scriptures? Hide it in there. Verse 12, it says, ask God to, I mean, he, the psalmist is saying, God, teach me. How many of us, when we come to the scripture, say, God, teach me. I need to know. Verse 15 says, study and reflect. That's why I'm so big on journaling. It forces me to do that. Don't just read a chapter a day. I got it done. Read, study, reflect. Think about it. Let it settle in. And all of it, this whole psalmist has multiple things where it's done through this lens of, I love, I delight in God's law. The second thing, not only God's word, I would say God's people. This, this verse is a, the, ends with a powerful statement. Run from anything that stimulates useful lust. So, I mean, this does, don't stay and fight. Don't stay and fight. You're not strong enough. Your heart is deceptively wicked. Run. Get out of town. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with what? Pure hearts. Do your friends call on the Lord with pure hearts? I'd say if they don't, your heart's going to struggle to stay pure itself. So again, take care of your own heart and do that with God's word and do that with, with people around you that can sustain and support that. The next thing I'd say, if you want a home that captures this purity of heart, parent to the heart. Now, I'm not going to do this justice. This is a whole, this is a whole sermon series. But I just want to introduce it for those of you who might say, well, I'm not familiar with that. Here's the thing. Jesus is a fanatic about the heart. In this Sermon on the Mount, just a few verses after this verse 8 here in chapter 5, he says to people, he says, listen, listen, guys, you've heard that it says do not murder. That's the outside command. But I tell you, don't even look at someone and say hateful, angry, bitter things in your heart. Because if you do, you're guilty of murder. Whoa. He goes on and says, listen, listen, don't, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. That's the law. That's the outside. I tell you, don't even lust for you've committed adultery. He comes to the Pharisees. These are guys that we beat up in our churches, but they're honestly religious leaders that we would respect if they walked with us today, because we'd say, wow, these are good guys. They've obeyed everything. They're really good moral people. Jesus looks at them and over and over and over, at one point he calls them whitewashed tombs. In other words, you guys look so pretty on the outside, but there's death inside. Another point, he talks and compares them to a cup. And he says, the outside of your cup is beautiful, but the inside is dark and dirty. And none of us want to drink out of a dirty cup. So Jesus says, go after the heart. And I think it's important for us as parents, as you have kids at home, to understand, just understand that we have a natural starting point of law. We have a natural starting point of addressing behavior and sometimes missing and often missing the heart. I'd say to this, don't settle for outward submission. Where inwardly they're rebelling. Push to get into that inward. Try to work to the why that's, that's dealing with the what. I mean, right actions kind of flow from the heart. Here's what I want to say on this one. If you're saying this is new to me, I want to recommend, there's actually three books. First one is a book that's very well known. It's been around. If you've never studied this subject at all, this is where I would start. The book is Shepherding a Child's Heart. Now, great theory struggles with some of the practical. 
A great practical book would be a book that's um, good and angry. And we had that group here, I think it was a year, year and a half ago, here to do a parenting seminar. And there's tons of great material that they put out. The good and angry is just one of them that deals with, okay, sometimes misses some of the theory maybe, but it really captures how do I practically parent to the heart. And then the other one I want to mention is Mark Gregson and all his materials. He's going to be here on October 14th. I cannot wait right here in this room, specifically talking to parents. And he also looks at parenting from the heart and a great book that I just finished reading. I'd recommend would be tough guys and drama Queens. It would help you kind of in this area. So deal with your own heart, parent to the heart. Now the final one, the final I'd say is this pursue perfect purity of the heart. Now (laughs) I say pursue because I don't believe any one of you in this room, myself included, are ever going to attain it this side of heaven. Keep running after it. Keep running after it. I'd also say pursue because you cannot attain it on your own. Without Jesus, your heart will never truly be pure. Remember the verse in Ephesians 5, not even a hint. Let me give the example of one that oftentimes we think about teenagers, but the subject of virginity. I would say, instead of, I'd say to teenagers, I've worked with teenagers a lot of years, I would say, instead of the goal being, I'm going to remain a virgin until I get married, I would say, no, let's scrap that. Let's make it this. I am going to remain and I'm going to pursue a heart of purity. Do you know what's different about that? I've worked with teenagers a lot of years, and I've talked to many teenagers who've done naked gymnastics, we'll call it that, with their sweethearts, but they're still technically virgins, if you know what I mean. They've been with them in ways that aren't real pure. You and I would say, whoa, but they're virgins. I'd also say it this way. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting what happens in dating relationships, how we ultimately, what we're doing is giving our heart away. It's interesting to me how we're okay with, with a, with a boy or a girl giving their heart away and giving their heart away eight, nine, 10 times. And now we come to get married and don't give your heart away, guard it. My heart is going to be pure. Yes. want to be a virgin, but let's shift it. And I think you can take this concept right through life for all walks of life. Perfect purity of heart is the goal. Now, here's how Craig Rochelle says it. Craig Rochelle, we, we, have, um, we have borrowed this message uh, from Craig. And again, with permission, we've gotten our, uh, the graphics and some of the main structure. We've really changed it, made it our own, but he's given us permission. And again, here's how, um, here, excuse me, my, my thing crashed on me here. Not crashed, I hit the wrong button. <laughs> here's how Craig says it. When you're pure in heart, You can see the power of God in a way that you'd never imagine. When you're pure in heart, you can see the power of God in a way you'd never imagine. I mean, coming back to verse 8, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. You know, I can't, many of you in this room, you want to see God work, right? You want to see him work in your own life. You want to see him work in your marriage. You want to see him work in your kid's life. You want to see him work with your boss. You want to see him. You want to see him work. Yes, we do. We want to see him. Well, you know what God says? Pursue a pure heart. Now, let me throw this one caveat out. Let me throw this one thing. 
I believe if you live according to God's law, even if you don't love him, if you live according to his law, you're going to have a good life. But I find too often, you know, here's what I found. I'll just use our leadership team as an example. Sometimes we're thinking, man, we want this to happen in church. Well, why isn't this happening? Well, we've got to live better. Galatians chapter 5 would say, be careful with what you want. We don't use religion to get this blessed home. Galatians 3, 5 says, I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. Exclamation point there. Notice that. It's a strong, no way. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. Often I find that, that, that I will be obeying to get something. God says, no, no, no. Don't obey to see me show up and work. Trust in my son, Jesus Christ. I just want to throw that out as a caveat because I'm not here preaching. Go get pure so God will work. Oh, God will work because you trust in Jesus. Now, as I trust in Jesus from a place and I live for purity, ultimately, you know what it's about? It's not even about having a blessed home. It's about coming home to God. First Peter 3.18, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners. Look what he did. He died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. Isn't that awesome? He didn't die to give you a great home, though you're going to have a great home by walking with him. He didn't die to give you a better job and a better life, although I believe that's going to happen. As you, He died ultimately to say, here is God. You've come home. Pursue that purity of heart that only he can give you. Trust him. Surrender to him. It's amazing what you're going to see him do. 2 Timothy 2.20, in a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver and some made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Now, in some homes, you have china cabinets. I grew up in a home that, man, china was not, I didn't even know what china was. We had a cabinet with false craft in it. It was the false craft. It was that gray dish with a little blue flowery thing in the middle, a whole set of it. That was our special utensil. And what made it special was our normal cabinet had dishes. I don't think there were two matching dishes in the entire cabinet. I don't know why. I've never asked my mom. I know we grew up struggling to, I mean, we did not, did not have a lot of money ground off that. I just don't know why. But I knew when the special guest was coming over, we would get out the special dishes. We get out that false craft. We pull out the box. You know, you know the box has all the silver in it, and the silver is where it's much shinier than the stuff you have over in the drawer that you use all week long to eat your cereal. You get that box out, and you get all this special, and you set it out at the table, and the honored guest comes and sits down. God says, listen, listen, I've got a plan for you. I've, I've made you in my image. I've given you gifts, and I've wired you to walk with me, and, and I want to use you. I don't just want to beat you up in everyday use. I want to use you. Pursue that purity of heart. Now, here's where I'm going to end. We're going to end with this. If you've tracked with me at any level here, if you've tracked with me at any level, you may be sitting there thinking, yeah, but Adam, (laughs) this is nice, but I live in the real world. I know the pressure that comes in and I know what I'm going to do tomorrow. And then some of you may really be thinking, here's where I find myself as I studied this this week. And I made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> My heart is desperately wicked. I am blind. I truly don't know what I don't know. And I don't know that I don't know what I don't know. And I begin to look back at my life and I think, man, what I wouldn't do to go back and change that or do that different. I live kind of back there. I think, what's the hope? 
Why even try? I want to put one verse up, and this is what ends it. I think this is a powerful, powerful way to end this. In my opinion, really, I, mean, I brought tears to me when I studied this this week. I'm going to go to the Old Testament. And the reason I'm going to is because sometimes we, and if you're familiar with the church at all, we look at the New Testament and think, man, that's the testament of love. That's the, God is love. And we look back here and think, that's all, whoa, I'm going to stay away from that. But here's a verse where God in his love and his mercy steps towards a wicked, wicked nation. A nation that was far from God. And in that place, he steps towards them and says, I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. You know, when this happened, this was fulfilled. This has happened already. And it's available to you and to all of us, to me. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die. And he, he lived a perfect life, died a terrible death. He died it for you and me to offer an exchange of life. So he rose again. He went to sit by the right hand of the father. He sat down. His work is done. And he told his buddies, hey, guys, when I go, I'm going to send someone to you. And who it's going to be is the promise here, the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send him. And I'm going to take that stony, hard heart, and I'm going to pull it out of you. And I'm going to break it. I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh that's going to beat. And it's going to bring you life. It's going to send life through all of your body. And you're going to then have my spirit to walk with you, to teach you. You're not going to be perfect, but I'm going to be there with you. And I will not leave you and I will not forsake you. If you've come into my, into me as my, as a father, I call you son. And there's now no condemnation and you have my spirit and you're sealed and it cannot be taken. And it gives incredible hope and incredible life. And all it takes is for us to surrender. Coming back to those earlier things we mentioned last week, humble yourself, realize your need, mourn and grieve and say, God, thank you. I surrender to your work in my life. Again, God blesses those whose hearts are pure for they will see God. God, thank you so much for Jesus Christ. God, I think of this verse in Ezekiel that you wrote so many years ago. Any person in this room right now who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that verse has come true for them. God, they have a new heart. It's new. Uh, we still have the sin nature in us, and it's still, it's still very alive. But they have a new heart, and they have the Spirit living in them. God, would we learn to listen to the Spirit? Give up control and walk with you. God, I, I pray right now for a peace and a healing to take place. God, if we're honest and we were saying, yeah, it's possible that my eyes have adjusted to the darkness and we really open it up and look, God, boy, it's scary. It can be very scary. God, as we look, may we walk towards you with peace. Yes, we're going to grieve and we're going to hurt. But God, we know in you, we're going to find life. God, help us as a church to be people who, who not just get concerned with physical safety, but God, we be a people who say, man, there's a thief. And he's here to steal, kill, and destroy. And I will, with the help of Jesus, protect my family, protect my heart. Can I pray for any person here right now who maybe would say, you know what, I'm not sure what it means to be a Christian. I'm not sure about this Jesus stuff. God, would I just right now, I ask for you to speak to that person. Talk to them. 
And it may sound weird to them, but God, I just pray you would speak and call them to you. Would they know right now that walking with you, that seeing you come alive in their lives is nothing more than surrendering to you, is acknowledging who you are and acknowledging that they can't fix themselves and they're a sinner and God just surrendering to you as their savior, surrendering to Jesus Christ. God, may they hear you speaking. God, for those that are Christians, God, would they equally hear you speaking? Would they see you? Would they see you? And God, give us the courage to respond to the message that you lay on our heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.